All right. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we'll get started where everyone else does. As far as earliest childhood memories, what are we getting into? Mm, any Anything specific that you would like me to speak to or just kind of whatever comes to mind? Um, I think for me, my earliest memories were preschool and I was gluing my hands together in a closet. Um, like those are my only memories of preschool. I'm trying to remember before that, but that's that's where I'm at. Okay, okay. So you planted the preschool seed. So <laughs> I um have actually this is like a horrible memory <laughs> coming to mind. I mean, it's it's like horribly embarrassing, I guess, but I will I'm, take. I'm those. willing to share it. <laughs> so. Uh, this is so fucking funny that this is what's coming to mind. By the way, can I cuss? Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay, cool, cool. So <laughs> <laughs> I was four years old. I was in preschool. And um, I remember it was like a nap time situation. And I hated nap times. And so I was always trying to find a reason to not do it. And so I would, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. I have to do this. I forgot my thing outside. You know, like just lots of excuses. So yeah, I actually needed to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so I went to the bathroom. And since it was sleep time, everyone was quiet. I had this little hallway to myself and I went into the boys bathroom and I thought this thing's cool on the wall, this toilet thing. And it was a urinal (laughs) and I had no idea what that was. Like I didn't know anything about anything. So I used it to go to the bathroom, not the kind that you're supposed to use in that toilet. Perfect. They called my dad. He had to come pick me up. And before he came to pick me up, they had me put on gloves and transplant this mistake to the girl's bathroom. And I just remember feeling so pissed off that they told on me. (laughs) I was so mad that they called my dad. Yeah, it was it was scarring, I would say. Yep. (laughs) I. I think the only other memory like that I have, I think it was second grade. Uh, we were, I was standing at a urinal and a kid was still working on his abilities and he would just drop trowel all the way. And I was just like, uh, I don't, I don't think you need to do that. But you know, that sometimes, sometimes those things happen. Um, so <laughs> we, we may get past that in preschool. Um, did, did we have any sports that we liked playing at at a young age? What types of things were we into? I remember being very obsessed with my teachers. Like I was way more interested, even at like four years old in preschool, I was way more interested in hanging out with my teachers than I was with the other kids necessarily. So I was just always wanting to learn something and practice something on them, like braiding Mm -hmm. their hair or saying my ABCs in Spanish or like whatever it was. I was just always, I always felt more interested in the adults than the kids. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't play sports. Well, I I guess I did some kid stuff. Like I did like soccer for a year, hated it. Things that like your parents kind of put you in, you know, but um, it wasn't until uh, maybe fifth, sixth grade, I did track for a year or two. And then I did cheer throughout high school. Okay. So when when we're in middle school, were your parents like, hey, you have to do a sport. Which one do you want to do? Or how did you come up with track? I did track before middle school. So my middle school gotcha. was sixth, seventh, eighth, and I um did it in fourth and fifth grade. And so I was kind of like free balling it as a kid, always. Like 
Um, my mom and dad got divorced when I was five and she, okay. she was out of the home. So it was single dad. That was my raising. Yeah. And, um, he was a full-time contractor running his own business, very busy, lots of stuff going on. And so it was kind of just like me telling him what I was doing. Like, Oh, I tried right. out for track this week. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Can you yeah. make it to my track meets? You know, like it wasn't anything that was from him to me. Um, but I do remember there always being like a catch of like, if I make this team, can I get him to pay for all the stuff? And like, yeah, yeah just because he wasn't invested in it. And I was, if I, if I was, it was me. And so mm. that was, that was always a strong part. So what, what made you stick with track all the way, like from fourth, fifth and into middle school? Did you like any specific event or what, what was that reason? Yeah. Um, I think I really just got off on like trying on like being the best at something, um, okay. kind of whatever it was. Uh, it's so funny. I say track. Cause like I didn't, I hated the running part, <laughs> I didn't right. like the running, which is track. And so I did track and field and I did like shot put and discus. And so nice. I was just really good at it. Like at that age for that bracket, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I think it was just like an outlet for me to feel kind of, like I was beating other people at something and right. I really enjoyed that <laughs> at that time. So that was definitely motivation, but, um, it fizzled out pretty quickly in middle school. Okay. <laughs> so to, to, to go back just a hair, you mm -hmm. said your, your parents broke up when you were five. Is that what it was? Yep. yep. How do you remember not necessarily handling that, but what, what was that to you? Yeah. So I remember it just being very, chaotic very all over the place um yeah my mom had a drug addiction and so that was the main reason that there was a separation and there was just a lot of like hatred between the two of them and so that was very much the tone and okay i remember constantly other people being like oh sweetie i'm so sorry this must be so hard and at that point in time at like five six years old i was already totally dissociating from it I was like, what gotcha. do you mean? It's fine. I'm fine. Like yeah. at five years old, you know, so that was, that was pretty much the nutshell of it. Mm. And at, at, that's at a very young age, my parents got divorced, I want to say in seventh grade. And like, they told me and like, I went downstairs and played video games. My sister like wrote down a bunch of questions. So like, for me, I was very like, I, I, not that I didn't know it was happening, but I still wasn't like taking it in. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, at, at five, that that seems like a bunch. Um, but you seem to move forward with it. Um, as far as uh, middle school goes, what was going on for us there? Middle school was such a shit show. <laughs> such a fucking shit show. I think it is in, in some way for everybody, but... Yeah. It's just awkward. You you get boobs. You start getting boners in class. Like all these things are happening. It's like, I don't know how to handle this. So that was definitely my like out the gate with kind of like a boy craziness. Um, okay. I was like stuffing my bra, doing stuff to just like get that sort of attention. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just remember it being really stressful as far as like the social aspect of it. The boys, the dating, the are you popular? Mm. Are you not? Kind of stuff. That was totally. In my and mind. do do you feel like that was from movies, TV shows, your friend group? Where where do you think that pressure was coming from? 
I think, um, I mean, I would say from the friends around me, from the kids around me, but that's obviously not the source, you know, I think it was like the culture, um, you know, that was when like Justin Bieber was like really popping off in the very beginning. And so it's like, I don't know, there was just this thing about like, this wasn't spoken ever, but it was kind of like a cultural thing, like between all the girls in the grade, seventh, eighth grade of like, would Justin Bieber go out with you? <laughs> and it's like so silly and random, but that yeah. sort of a thing. Are you in or are you mm-hmm. not? Kind of. Vibe. So what what you said that was unspoken, what was mm-hmm. spoken between the friend groups and the girls? Um, I remember being very triggered in middle school around like social status type of stuff. Like how much money were your parents spending on you? to go school shopping. Did you have the newest iPhone? That was like when iPhones were, you know, 2G, 2, yeah. 3GS, whatever it was, you know, <laughs> 8,000 yeah. years ago. So um, a lot of that, I guess, yeah, that's kind of like the bow on it. It's like the self-worth stuff was very much tied into material of like, do you right. have the cool things or not? Yeah, my my daughter is now a month, a month, a year and almost two months. Mm. And I'm just seeing like just learning and listening. And and it seems like middle school for girls is just like it ramps up. It's it's rough. Um, Like what what would have helped you through that through that period? A female role model for sure. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) A female role model and. In my growing up, like my parents separated at five, but my dad was a serial dater from that point on. Okay. So he he was single, but he was never right. without a chick in his life. You know, there was always mm-hmm. something going on that was very, um, I wasn't sheltered from it at all. And so right. he very much kind of painted this picture that like, he, he was super noncommittal. And so it painted a picture of like, I have to do more. I have to be more. I have to look better. I have to be more like I have to be the cool girl, like all these different concepts so that somebody would claim me, you know? So that was, I think where my, that trauma really started to like express itself was in middle school. Mm. Mm -hmm. So with all that going on, did you still enjoy school? Because beforehand you said you loved learning and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Did you still have that drive? I did totally. Like in the academic side of things, I was like, that was my jam. Like I always okay. had like a 4.0 or higher in like AP classes, that sort of thing. Um, there was this thing called the science showdown every year. And I was always like first to sign myself up, that kind of stuff. So I loved the academic side of things because it was always very mm-hmm. easy for me. And I, I flourished. Yeah. Um, but outside so the classroom you, was harder. Do you feel like so I, I feel like there's a, a couple groups of people, but I'll, I'll just make two groups. Mm-hmm. There's the people that they don't really study too much, but they went to class. They understand they're going to get a 4.0. And then there's the people that it may not be like super hard for them, but they know exactly what they need to do to excel in the class. And they work extremely hard for it. Like mm-hmm. where, what category would you put yourself in? Definitely the more easy breezy. Like it's okay. just like, okay, if I show up to class, I'll get an A on the test kind of a thing. And that yeah. really like rocked me when I got to college and had more stuff that you actually had to study Mm. i did not i had no study habits up until that point (laughs) yeah um do you feel like you were able to 
just catch on to things quickly because you understand concepts and the teachers were helping with that? Like what changed from that to college? Um, I think it was just the depth of the actual, gotcha. the actual curriculum. Like, for example, the first physics class I ever took was in college. I didn't do it in high school. Okay. And so like physics in college, I could not skate through that one. <laughs> you know, like I needed <laughs> to actually study. I had trouble with homework, things like that. And it was a huge ego death for me because that was the first mm. time school felt hard, you know, ever. Gotcha. And I had to try mm. hard. And so up until then, it was just like, this is easy enough to kind of memorize. And then I yeah. can just go from there. Okay, so I I jumped ahead a little bit, but we're stuffing bras in middle school. Uh huh. What was what was going on in high school as as things progressed? Ooh, I started partying. Okay, that is where things took a left or left turn. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> hey, um, three left turns and you make it right. You're almost there. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for a little bit of context, um, my mom had the addiction issue. And that was like, I was aware of it, but didn't really know what it was. Nothing at right. super young age. But on my dad's side, he was like absolute like hater of all substances, like wouldn't even drink coffee, didn't drink alcohol, nothing. So wow. yeah, so it was a lot. There was a lot of controlling type of stuff from him, especially in middle school, I started to get a little more wild. And so I was rebelling more and more and he was trying to cling on more and more. Yep. And so um, when it got to high school, I really rebelled with alcohol. And so, um, and, and pot too. The first time I ever smoked weed was my freshman year of high school, like a month in, I bought a dime bag from some dude at school. I like asked around, where can I find weed? He sold me a dime bag. Didn't even know how to smoke it. I Googled how to make a, like a can bong or yes. like a, a pipe out of like a soda can, you know? And I smoked weed by myself for the very first time in my bedroom, in my dad's house with him home. <laughs> how qu- How quickly did he find out about that? He was in the shower and he like notoriously took ever long showers. So it was like a couple, maybe like an hour and a half or so. But my sister was like, yeah. I, so I smoked it immediately got in the shower. Cause I'm like, what the fuck? Like I'm in a totally different world. You know, like I never experienced this before. So she's pounding on the door. Did you smoke weed? It smells like weed. She's like a year younger than me. And so, um, I was just ignoring her, having this crazy experience in the shower. I felt like I could feel every raindrop on my body. <laughs> and then um, I went in my room and I knew it was inevitably going to happen. I was going to get in trouble. He, I could hear him come walking because it was an upstairs like floor. I could hear his feet. Yeah. And I like jumped on the floor and opened up a textbook, just going to pretend like I was studying. And he walked in and he was pissed. And he was like, where is it? Where the fuck is it? And I was like, I was like, where's what? <laughs> Just kind of, you know, playing stupid, but also <laughs> high as hell. So that's where I was functioning from. And he was like, where is it? Where's the fucking weed? Give me it. And I said, it's all gone. <laughs> and now today, when he tells that story, he says it was like so hard for him to not crack up laughing in that moment. But he threatened me and said, like, if you like basically like a kicking out kind of threat, right? Like, you can't be here if you do this shit. And so, yeah, that was how that went down. <laughs> that that's 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 refreshing that you hear it afterwards that he right. it was a hard time for him <laughs> not to laugh. That's that that's good to hear. Yeah, definitely. Um, so from from that, like so when I when I went to high school, uh I played 
basketball, soccer, and tennis. I was a mm. square. Um, <laughs> and like I sat with a bunch of different people at like lunch and had a bunch of different friends, but like never got into the party scene. Like, mm. how do you get into the party scene? How does that how does that work? Uh-huh. So there's like one or two friends that immediately come to mind that I had known since like sixth, seventh grade middle school. And mm. they both had older siblings that were very much like in that crowd. Like they were like gotcha. junior seniors already in that crowd. So they were kind of like the little tag alongs all the time. And then I got like brought into that because nice. I was friends with them. So um yeah, I would I would just hang out with those people on purpose so that yeah. I would be able to do the older kid things. But like it, it wasn't limited to an actual party scene. I was really just in the deep end of like fucking around. So I got drunk at school one time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, let's let's break that down. Like we wake okay. up in the morning and we're like, today's the day. Uh-huh. Like what 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 was what was going on in her mind at that point? Yes. So um, keep in mind there was no alcohol in my house like ever yep. because of my dad. So. I knew I would have to like outsource it. Uh, I had a best friend in my freshman year of high school. We were, so one other thing I should note, I skipped kindergarten. Like I was in kindergarten for like a little bit, couple months. And I was just yeah. distracting the whole class. I was like always, I knew my shapes and colors and alphabet and stuff. So I, it was boring. And so right. halfway through the school year, they put me in first grade. So by the time I was nice. starting high school, I was already a year younger, like in age than everybody but being exposed to all the same things, you know? So everything was just like yeah. rapid fire, rapid growth or destruction either way. <laughs> so I had a friend and she had the opposite situation. So she was like a 15 year old freshman and I was like a 13 year old freshman. And okay. so that I, I would say had like a little bit of a, of a, an, a weight to it. Cause she had yeah. more, you know? And so she was sometimes just casually drinking wine in the morning with her, like of her mom's stash and like to bring a little bit of wine to school. And so that was like my, my exposure to it. And I was like, Oh, this looks cool. And I know I shouldn't do it. So like, let's do that. And so there was a friend, a dude, wasn't a friend dude that we knew had access to a store where they would sell him liquor. And he was like 15 or 16. So we gave him money to buy us a, each a four loco. Um, Yes. (laughs) And this was like a year or two before they got banned and changed with, you know, so this was when they were like fucking rocket fuel, like just horrible. So he bought us two of these four locos and they're like bright color. They're like blue and red and stuff. And so he poured it into a fat Gatorade bottle for each of us, brought it to school. So this was like a couple days, like this was like pre-planned. And then we got to school. We met him in the morning, got our drinks and then at break time, we ran into the locker room real fast in the PE area and like downed them because we knew we couldn't get caught with this. We had to like get rid of it. So we both slammed a full tall can of Four loco each in 10 minutes. Those aren't small. No. And they're like 14% alcohol. And they had like 200 milligrams of caffeine or something. And they were just so bad. <laughs> so we did that. And it was like, you know, immediately I'd felt something like, Ooh, like, okay. I'm like on something right now. Went to third period after break. And I just remember being like, like, I got that question. Let me answer that one. Like I was so interactive, probably in a bad way. And then when we stood up, 
I almost fell down and my friend was sitting next to me and I was like, I need you to walk me to my next class, dude. And he helped me, walked me across the campus. And then in fourth period, I was blacked, like didn't remember anything. I was falling out of my chair. The, when I got back to school, because I definitely got in trouble and was suspended, I got back to school. I had like scribbles down the line, like trying to write something on a line. And it was just like a complete diagonal on the page. I was so drunk in that period. Teacher called the people. The lady came and got me in a golf cart, took me to the office. I kept having to get up to pee. The cop lady didn't like that. They like handcuffed me in the office to the chair it was a whole scene. And then I remember my dad showed up because that's who they would have called. And I'll never, it's like burned in my memory. He was wearing a NASCAR t-shirt and I just yes. saw NASCAR on the back of his red shirt when I walked in from peeing and I was like, fuck, he's here. And then they sentenced me, you know, I got suspended, whatever the yeah. deal was. And then I left and my dad made me go to work with him every single day at six o'clock in the morning to all of his contracting jobs and proceeded to tell every single customer of his about my actions and made me tell them about my actions for the whole 10 days of being suspended. It was so, rough. <laughs> so the, what, what was the goal of the situation? We, we were going there to kind of get like a light buzz and just enjoy school a little bit. Yes. I had no concept of like how much alcohol you should drink to accomplish anything. <laughs> so I just slammed it thinking I can do this. And then I couldn't do that. So overview, good experience or bad experience? Hmm. I would say that. <laughs> bad because of like the humiliation of like I got kicked off the cheer team I had to write like yeah. a, an apology letter to the school all kinds of shit so it was like a major like tuck tail between my legs kind of feeling so yeah. I felt really like embarrassed and humiliated and like all the stuff within myself that was definitely a negative but yeah. um you know had I not done it, maybe I would have done it three years later and it would have been worse right. or something, you know? So like, yeah. I do see the positive that like, I checked that box and got that out mm. of the way young enough and, to where it wasn't like life changing. You know? And do you feel that the humiliation that you, the school and that your dad having you tell people, do you feel like that was something that, no, I wouldn't say was, a, let's say, do you think that was effective way of teaching or guidance <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> okay <laughs> no way <laughs> i feel like after the first time of telling john who i'm fixing fixing his kitchen sink that i was hung over he's mm -hmm. probably dying laughing and be like that's fa it's not his kid he doesn't care like what like that's right i, I <laughs> at some point it's just like yeah for loco Yep. Yeah. And that's, that was their reaction from people. They were like, Ooh, like you're a wild one. And like, they would just make like, you know, casual comments about it. Cause it wasn't their life. <laughs> but right. yeah, it was, I think what would have been helpful is maybe some sort of guidance, whether it was from my dad, from someone at school, from therapy forced on me, like whatever, something that like had me actually sit with why I did it. Because yeah. that was never a part of the punishment. It was just like, you fucked up and now here's your consequences. 
And there was never right. any like analysis of like, why would a 13 year old kid fuck up like this? You know, like yeah. what is below that? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because like you said, like w- our goal was just to go get a little bit of a buzz. So it wasn't necessarily that you wanted to do this huge, massive thing and, and do that. But that's right. all that people looked at. Yes. So I'm I'm yeah. I'm trying to keep all these things for when my daughter does anything wrong. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> keep keep that in my mind. Help her um, analyze it. <laughs> yep. Um. So ten day suspension. We uh-huh. get back. Is everybody like? Does that move you up in like the group or down because you're out of the cheer team? Hmm. I would say both because okay. with the cheerleaders specifically, it was like, damn. Like we don't even know what to say to her because like shit. That's crazy. Now she's not a teammate anymore. Like ooh. It was just this kind of like awkward pause in the air but with other friend groups because i relate to what you said like i had a lot of different friend groups um Mm -hmm. but like the the more quote-unquote cool crowd the ones that were also trying to sneak alcohol in their lives and stuff like that they were like high-fiving me and stuff so it was very mixed reaction from people Mm -hmm. teachers so across the board (laughs) they were not not positive but students it was a mix I'm I'm interested what the teachers thought like what was it just disappointment or like what what do were any of them close to you to where their disappointment would matter like what was mm-hmm. going on there Yeah so there were two teachers that I was very very fond of they were both my math okay. teachers and um third period where I was all drunk and calling shots was my geometry class which was like my favorite class ever in high school so I felt probably more embarrassed of how they might be thinking of me more so than like how they were actually treating me. Um, But the teacher that ended up calling the office on me and like reported it. And the reason I went to the office, not to say I wouldn't have gone in anyways, because it was so bad, but um, (laughs) he was the football coach very much at school for football. He like did the teaching just because he had to kind of a thing. And he was like a woodshop teacher. And then this was the first year in California where they changed the state standards to where instead of um, geography being a requirement for freshmen, you had to take yeah. success 101, which is like the most bullshit made up class ever. You mostly watch movies and it, you got like a workbook where you have to calculate like how much do shampoo costs every month and like things like that, like to prep you for life. And it's yeah, it's a joke. So um he taught that class. And I remember talking to him when I got back, he like called me over to him because we were like buddies. Um, he was like, like shaking his head and like telling me like, God, like, you know, I, I knew you, you guys were drunk because the other friend was in that class as well, who did not get sent to the office, by the way. So that's a whole d- different thing. Wow. But yeah, she drank more than I did usually. <laughs> so, um, more often than I did, you know? So he was like, God, like that was so like hard, you know, like I knew you guys were fucking around. I I could smell the alcohol on you guys when you came in here. But, you know, I I didn't want to call. I wouldn't have called unless I had to. But you were falling out of your chair and like taking your shoes off. And like I had to had to. And so he like felt less disappointed and more like regretful of the whole situation in general um, and his participation in it. But like he had to like he wasn't at fault, you know. Um, right. So that felt kind of good. It felt kind of validating of like, 
ah, okay, somebody here that's an adult doesn't think I'm just a total fucking fuck up. You right. Know? So that was that was nice. I would say. Well, and and it's interesting to see the the people and how they judge you because he's someone that cared about you and he mm-hmm. and, and he didn't just bring this upon you he was like yeah like it was a tough situation like yeah. bummer that it happened but like I'm, it's nice to see everything's okay yeah definitely yeah so we we make it past those 10 days we're we're back in school what are things what 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 year was this was this freshman year this was freshman year oh yes i uh, have a yeah this yeah <laughs> So if if you were to look back at it now, um, why why did that happen? So it was it it was primarily just because we wanted a little bit of buzz at school. I mean, that was the conscious thought behind it. I was like, oh, okay. this sounds fun. I'm gonna do that. But like, I think the unconscious motivation, which was the motivation for all of the things I was doing at that time that were not smart was yeah. just this total, total rebellion towards my dad of feeling like he's forced so many things on me and like forced so much control and so many rules and so many regulations that like, I'm going to run in the other direction as far and as fast as possible. And so that was definitely the deeper motivation. Um, okay. Yeah. And so did, did that keep progressing through high school? Yes. So freshman year was like a was just a bomb of a year. Okay. So the kicked off the cheer team, the alcohol thing, the getting suspended. I got suspended a second time that year for too many dress code violations. Um, what, 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 what's a dress code violation for you guys? So for context, the lady that was in charge of enforcing the dress code, her name was Barbara. She was Pentecostal. Perfect. And so her dress code in her mind and her life was full coverage wrist to ankles. Like you need to be covered. That's how she dressed every day. And she was the one in charge of enforcing the school's rules, but most of the time it was kind of her rules mixed in there. And so fingertip length is the rule for shorts. If you stand up straight and you put your arms down straight, your shorts have to be like at, at or longer than your longest fingertip. And like for perspective, that's about three inches above the knee. So that's like Bermuda shorts. That's not shorts, you know? And so in my opinion, and this is where my dad did like have a positive influence. I would say he didn't buy into any of that. He was like, whatever, like I can't see your ass. So like, it's fine. You're just wearing shorts. And so that was always my mindset about it too. But the shorts um, straps, you had to have, I think it was three fingers for the tank top width. So like if you were wearing a spaghetti strap, you would get sent home. There was no no like allowance for you to have yeah. tank tops that were too skinny on the shoulders you know god forbid you tempt someone with that shoulder so <laughs> those were the rules and no no like midsection exposed no stomach out type stuff so what what type of was this just a regular public school or yep. what was okay yep regular public school it was basically all of the same rules that i had been under in middle school but the one difference and this was like total freedom to me was that you didn't have to wear closed toe shoes so you could wear like flip-flops to school but you couldn't wear shorts or tank tops okay yeah Yeah, i i don't know if girls got sent home at ours but i think they just had to put on like the gym clothes that we provided so it was just like an ugly baggy red shirt or something yeah we did have those too and they were called loner clothes um like (laughs) 
like the ones they would loan out to you, but spelled on the shirt was L-O-N-E-R, like you're a loner. Like that's how it was spelled. There were these big giant, like men's size, large basketball shorts or a gray, like gym shirt. And they said yeah. loner in Sharpie across them. <laughs> that sounds so, like a good brand, loner. Yeah, Perfect. yeah, it could be. <laughs> um. So are we playing any, are we still in track at that point or we're pretty much no. just school and partying? Just school and partying after cheer was like, I was kicked out of cheer. I was very emotionally like distraught about that. But internally, because of, you know, all the conflict going on in my own home life and everything with my dad, like there was no one that I was like crying to and telling him my problems. And so that I would say was probably just more fuel to the fire of like all the ways I was acting out. It was kind of like, damn, I know I'm responsible for this one, but like, I feel like something was taken from me. And so now I like, what is the point? I'll just do whatever. And so I would say party even more after that. Um, but I want to go back a little bit cause this was maybe, I don't remember if this was before or after the drunk incident, but it, they were both yeah. in the first semester of my freshman year. And this was when I lost my virginity. Okay. And it was a whole thing. Can we go mm-hmm. there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so I had a crush on this dude for years like we had gone to the same middle school i was in sixth grade when he was in eighth grade and i was just like oh that eighth grader like he was like the the cutest guy i ever thought i could ever see and so by the time i was a freshman i was a little bit more you know attractive than a sixth grader and so he was a junior and i was a freshman he was 16 i was 13 so that was that was the setup we ended up connecting somehow through like facebook or whatever and we started texting talking on the phone I liked him a lot. I think he kind of liked me, but it was definitely more like there was a, there was a motivation there. Like he was trying to fuck me and that was the point, but I didn't know that. And so uh, just like so much like naive thinking with the whole situation. So he asked me if he could take me to lunch one day at this school that I was at. It was, there were two high schools in my town and this was the third one that was opened. And um, they started the school with just a freshman class. And then the next year they had freshmen and sophomores. Next year they had okay. freshmen, sophomore, junior. So I was the second grad, like the second class. So there was only freshmen and sophomores. And because okay. of this new school and the limitation of only having the two grades, it like the other schools hated us because then it forced like in a whole district wide thing for the other schools to change their rules for lunchtime to where only juniors and seniors could go off campus. Oh, so I wasn't allowed to leave. So I left, (laughs) I walked out, (laughs) he picked me up because he was a junior, so he could leave. So I just like walked off campus, got in his car and I legitimately thought we were like going to Subway or something like certain of it. We went to his house and I'm thinking, hmm, wonder if he has something to get. Like this is, what are we doing here? So we get to his house and he was a stoner, like a stoner kid. And I didn't smoke weed. I had that one experience yeah. and like, I never did it again at that point. So he like pulls out this little tiny Spider-Man pipe and starts smoking a bowl. And he's like, you want some? And me in this just like total people pleasing energy, trying to like get him to like me. I was like, okay. Yeah. So I hit this weed pipe stoned out of my mind. I'm like lost in space. Yeah. And then he, we walk to the kitchen. He starts taking out brandy bottles out of his parents' cabinet. 
and asks if I want to do a shot. And I was like, okay, said yes, even though I didn't want to. Doesn't sound like an easy shot. (laughs) No, 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 it wasn't. And we took four, four shots. And then he, yeah. And then he filled the bottle back up with water, like as if that wasn't (laughs) going to be found out. Perfect. Yeah. So we did that. We go into his bedroom at this point and we're like making out. And at that point in time, I had the like decent understanding that like, okay, we're not going to eat. <laughs> this is not a lunch date. <laughs> you know, this is, there's, I see what's happening. So yeah. we're making out. And at that point in time, the most I had ever done with a guy was make out. Like that was it. Okay. Nothing below the belt. So he starts like begging me for a blowjob. And I was like, terrified because right. i'd never done it didn't know what to do thought i was gonna fuck it up do something wrong whatever and so he's like come on please please and i was like no no and it still just blows my mind how this played out but i in the spur of the moment was like do you want to just have sex because for whatever reason i thought that that was gonna be easier than sucking his dick. And I, I guess thought that I had to do one or the other or something or he was going to hate me or whatever. Third base or home. That's fine. Yes, exactly. (laughs) He like pops up. His eyes were like blown and he's like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, I think. And so he like immediately dipped and went to the store to buy condoms. Like it was like a, like a 60 second. He was out the door to go buy condoms. He came back in like, you know, five, 10 minutes, he was close to his stuff and he had condoms. And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, fuck, what did I just sign up for? Like, fuck, what are, what are we doing? And we... The romantic five to 10 minute pause to run to the store just... Yeah. <sighs> yep. Yep. And I found out years later that he was also a virgin. And so then it all made sense. And I was like, Oh, okay. I get the enthusiasm now. I get the eagerness. I get the, um, you know, no connection to like the experience of it. Just like, sure. Yeah. Let me go buy condoms. So he dips, he came back and, um, we had sex. It was maybe like five minutes long or something. I remember Mm -hmm. it being like painful because there was absolutely no like arousal process. It was just like straight up sex penetration. And then I have this like in my high drunk brain, like memories burned in me of his naked butt, like walking out of the room, just like his bare ass. And then we got dressed and he took me back to school. I was about five minutes late to the last period. So my plan at that time was like, I'm just going to slip in, in between the last two periods and like go to the last class and I'll just ditch six period. It didn't work because I walked in and my teacher was like, where's your slip? You need to go to the office. So I had to go to the office. They asked me, why are you late? I told them my dad picked me up for lunch and that we were talking because he was, I was in trouble. And so like he lectured me and then he took me to school late and that's what happened. They were like, okay, do you mind if we call to confirm that? And I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Gave him my house phone number because he's never home, never answers the phone. He fucking answered the phone. And so he immediately told them, I did not pick her up for lunch, but I'm going to come get her right now. He came and picked me up early. Like immediately I was in so much trouble. And in that short window of like leaving the dude's house, getting back to school, having my dad on his way, I had texted everything to my best friend at the time, who was like a family friend, kind of a connection. (laughs) 
she told her fucking mom and her mom told my fucking dad. And so my dad knew that I smoked weed. He knew that I drank alcohol. He knew that I lost my virginity. He knew that I ditched school all in like a 10 minute window picked me up with all of that, like already on the table. And I didn't even know that he knew. And so it was, it was a horrible, horrible car ride. He took me to my mom's house who she was back in the picture a little bit more stable. I was staying with her in high school, mostly out of rebellion again. And he forced me to go to like a clinic, a county clinic type thing the next day to get an STD panel and to get on birth control. And it was just like, like I can see now like how fucking hurt he was and like, just like so much going on for him. But at the time it was just straight rage and anger and was like, you're a fucking idiot. How could you do this? This is what you have to do now if you're going to act like this. And so that was my virginity story. <laughs> how how much conversation was there about sex before um before that moment? Like was there a class? Did you talk about it with the friends? Did you watch videos? Mm-hmm. Um there was absolutely no conversation from I mean my mom wasn't around and then my dad there was no direct conversation of like this is what happens. This is what's going to happen. Your body's going to change. Like none of that was a thing. Um, so when I started my period, I was like, this was like a year before that. Um, he had always had a girlfriend. So his girlfriend at the time was like the one that helped me with that situation, just gave me like the products and like told me this is, this is how it's going to go, but still nothing to do with sex. But a couple years before that, I was like 10 or 11. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a show, I think it was on like the E channel, maybe oxygen didn't hit didn't have cable ah okay okay so it was this show with this old lady she's amazing and um i think her name was suzanne something but it was like um is it suzanne Barr? no it was like sex with something something and it was like a call-in show where she's like this cute old lady and she would pick up the phone and answer the phone and like it'd be a live show on tv where she would answer sex questions for people and so the first time I ever saw that show, it was like I, it was like the equivalent to like watching porn. Like I knew I was not supposed to see that, but I yeah. loved it. And so I wanted to to watch it. And so on that first show I saw of it, a caller called in and asked about like, how can I enjoy swallowing when I give my partner a blowjob? And the lady mm-hmm. like went in depth about like the acquired taste for semen and like all this stuff. And all of this was like complete news to me. I had never even kissed anyone. And I'm like, what is she talking about? So then Mm -hmm. I found Google and I like went down a rabbit hole. What is sex? What is lesbian? How do you use a tampon? Like, what is a condom for? All these questions. And then my dad saw that search history and I was majorly in trouble, major everything. Yeah, everything grounded, everything taken away. And so... That was basically my first exposure to anything to do with like sex ed. Um, okay. And then I have a distinct memory when I was nine years old, standing in the kitchen with my dad, him telling me about like relationships and how they work. And he said, word for word, basically, men are going to fake love in exchange for sex. And women, mm. they give guys love or they give guys sex because they want love. And that's just how it works. 
Yeah. And so it was like just one more layer of that kind of like <laughs> traumatized mindset around like, I need yeah. to be valuable to him in some way for him to choose me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, at that point in time, I had no idea about anything other than what I found on Google. And after the fact, I still had no sit down conversation. It was just kind of like, now you're, now you're on birth control. Good right. luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, my uh, wife, her, her mom had a sister that like their child got pregnant in an early age. Mm. So I, I think it was like maybe before 16, she was also put on birth control. Cause her mom's like, not happening Mm -hmm. um and then like she would give her condoms when she would go to guys houses and like that wasn't like the situation at all but the guy like saw the care package of like popcorn Mm. candy and condoms and he's like this is great she's like no 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 (laughs) like my mom put Mm. this in here what would uh what would have sex education looked like for you that would have been helpful like at that age like what 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 would that even look like Yeah, that's like, I love that question so much. It's such a good question, especially now in my work. Like that's like what, you know, sexologist, relationship coach, this is what I do. So it all makes sense of why all this shit happened in my life. Yeah. But um, in hindsight, like if I could go back as an adult and like help my 12, 13 year old self, it would have been the most helpful thing. Two things. Number one, to understand the, all of the anatomy, like pleasure anatomy for female and male genitalia. What is happening? How does it work? What is arousal for both sexes? Because they're different. And like actually understanding that because there's throughout all of my sexual experiences in high school, there was so much like it was so much focused on his pleasure and his ejaculation. And like, it was just like, oh, okay, that's, that's just how it goes. And so I didn't have any idea of like how to hold standards for myself in Mm -hmm. the bedroom because I didn't know about any of those differences and things. So the actual anatomy and the functions would be helpful. And then the probably deeper, more important part would be just like empowerment and teaching me about bodily autonomy, like teaching me that sex isn't owed to anybody. This is something that's like shared with somebody. This is something that Mm. is for you and for them. It's not something to be transactional with. It's something to, um, you know, you can do it out of love. You can do it to create a child, but like, you know, if those two things aren't on your mind, then, you know, hold back and like just a, a better foundation around like, what is sex for so that I didn't use it so recklessly the way that I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and do you think that like for because like for me when I look at stuff I'm like what I have listened to that as as a kid and in some ways how do you think it would have been taken like how how do you think it would be best showed to you for mm-hmm. for that to be effective because when when an adult says you gotta be in love or so and so like kind of kind of hard to listen to them <laughs> right right <laughs> so like how how do you present it to to a young person yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is just a strong, strong, strong emphasis from like as young as possible on their ability to trust their own body and to gotcha. set those boundaries. Like, you know, I, I personally believe that that's why there's a terrible twos stage because we have to like say no, no, no to everything so that we can learn how to say no, you know, and that's like the first thing that we get pushed back against. And it's like, no, you're going to yeah. do this because I told you. And so it creates this whole idea that like other people's 
wishes are more important than what I, what's true for me. And so just so much grounding in and like empowerment around listening to your body, like finish eating when you're done eating, not finish your plate before you can get up, you know, just all those little differences of like teaching the child how to be their own person and be confident and trust themselves in those things without just like letting the external control it. Mm -hmm. So uh, as, as we're going through school, we've had sex, we've now it's more is it more so a card that we have available to us to play now yep um so how how is that used for us going forward in in high school Mm -hmm. so um for the rest of high school which i graduated a year early in high school also so then i graduated like two years younger than everyone technically how old were you i it was a month after my 16th birthday when i graduated that's wild yeah. So I was just very like it like I, I was playing adult. I wasn't an adult, but I thought I was an adult yeah. from a very young age, you know. So mm-hmm. um I was extremely promiscuous throughout high school. I really, really, really think so much came from that one time when my dad like sat me down and was like, Men give love for sex and women give right. sex for love. There was so much of that deeply ingrained in me that that's what I was doing. I was like the cool girl and wanted to be that way at the time. Like, oh, she's approved. If she doesn't do this, I'll do that. You know? And so it was like my way to get the attention that I wanted and to get the like affection or love that I wanted, even though it was never actually that. Cause I would get feelings for this person. They would say they had feelings for me. Some were short lived, some were like months on end or a year or two. And it was just always the same story of like, they would want to be girlfriend and boyfriend with somebody else eventually. Yeah. And I just didn't understand why that was happening. So that was, that was how it progressed. I was having sex left and right. What was that love and affection that you're looking for is you're looking for that from yourself, from, from your, like where, where was it missing from Mm -hmm. is a better question. Um, I would say both. So like in my work now, I have so much more of an understanding of all of this because like brief little side note here in our development, mother strongly represents ourself. Like she is our foundation for self-worth, self-esteem, self-trust, all that. And father represents love from others. And so he represents like the way we learn to really relate to other people. And so my mom being gone, like I was never taught any of those things from her. And so that was just kind of missing. And then my Mm -hmm. dad, he was always physically present and was there, there, you know, but he wasn't emotionally available. And so it was like this kind of mind fuck of like, he's here for me, but I don't feel like he's here for me. And so there was a gap there of like always feeling kind of unsupported, um, unloved, unwanted, but it was like, not allowed in a certain sense for me to feel and think those things because he was physically there, you know? So I was trying to fill those gaps that I didn't understand with other relationships. And when, when you did have sex with them, did, did it seem to have that uh, love and want for a little while or like what kept you going back to that same thing? It was um, not even during sex or after the fact, but it was like the, I became sort of like, I guess, kind of mentally, emotionally addicted to the feeling of being wanted. And I could really, really test and prove time and time again, the dudes wanted to have sex with me, (laughs) you know? And so it's like, 
I didn't have to face the pain of feeling like they didn't want to get to know me. They didn't love me because I was smart. They didn't love me because of X, Y, Z, but it was because I was cool, quote unquote, cool and sexual. And I knew Mm -hmm. that that was like a tried and true way to get them to want me. So that's, that's Mm -hmm. really where it was. Gotcha. Yeah. I would say for me when I was, I would say out of college, but I didn't go to college for that long. So (laughs) when I, when I was older, I, when I would have sex with women, it was more so like, Hey, if they like me, then like, I'm not that bad. Like this is, Mm -hmm. we'll we'll take that. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's more so where, where, where that question came from. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you graduate at 16, Mm -hmm. um, is there like, do we get a party at least? Like what, what's going on at that point? <laughs> oh God. I went to a, no. So, so that was technically my junior year. Okay. okay. So my birthday's in April. Um, and so I was like, Ooh, April, 15th, April what? Eighth. Oh, I'm 17th. So close. So you're, you're an Aries also. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about that later, <laughs> but, um, so for my whole school year that year, I was 15, basically, for the whole Okay. Year. So I went to school starting in August, whenever it starts. And it was like to the point where my dress code issues and truancy, because my mindset was very much like, if I can do my work, if I can show up to cheer practice on time, if I can get a fucking A on my test, I don't want to be there all day. I don't need to be there all yeah. day. So I would just like not go a lot of the time. I had like 87 absences that school year or something. Like I was just like not there (laughs) most of the time, at least two days a week. I was absent every week. Every week. I think I, I think I almost didn't graduate because I had a one unexcused absence. One? One. And it was because the tennis t- it, it was it was because of a tennis uh our tennis coach forgot to like hand in the letter or whatever it was like it wasn't even on me oh my god <laughs> whoa that's pretty needless to, needless to say i was a square um <laughs> <laughs> so so we're we did we were able to graduate or did they say hey just get out of here you have like how does that work Yes. So it was early October, like late September. Um, They called me into the office multiple times in a row, like all in the month of September that school year. They called me into the office because every time I was tardy, it was in the same office, like shared space as the vice principal. And so if he was in there, he would witness me be tardy or be absent or whatever. And he would call me in and be like, this is a fucking problem. Like, you know, we need to you need to do better. And so they were constantly threatening me with two things. One, um, truant escort to where like a cop picks you up in the morning to go to school um so that you get there on time and then the second option was being expelled and sent to continuation school for like the Mm -hmm. burnouts and the gangsters you know and me being a 4.06 student on the cheer team in the math club like you know i was the president of the math club i'm like you're not gonna tell me that i'm gonna go to continuation school like it's just there's something that's not adding up here and so I was just like so pissed and so rebellious towards the fact that because this is what it came down to. If you're not in your seat, your ass in your seat in the first 30 minutes of public school in California, at least, which is always the time I was not there. Even if I showed up, I almost always was late to first period. If you're not there for the first attendance taking of the day, they don't get paid for you that day. 
And so that's one of the main reasons why truancy is such an issue. Not because they are concerned about your learning, but because they don't get their daily paycheck for you in that seat if you aren't there to be taken role in the very first period. I'm lying. I'm saying you're there. I'm, I'm right. taking the money. <laughs> I wish you were my teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, once I really realized that and they broke it down to me that way, that was like the worst thing they could have told me because that just made me even more like, why would I listen to you then? Like, yeah. what? The, there's no value here that makes sense. So, um, and then this, the dress code thing, just feeling so controlled and that whole trigger. So, I continued to do my best from that point forward. I was like actually trying to be on time and do all these things because they threatened me with kicking me off the cheer cheer team again that year. And so (laughs) um, it was the most frustrating thing that ever happened with this office situation. So our cheer team was really kind of like on its last legs. Like we had like three different coaches in one year. It was like this. It was very shabby. And the coach at the time that was a brand new coach for us after having one that was established, she all of a sudden changed our hairstyles for how we needed to show up on game day because you have to show up in school like in your uniform and fully dressed and whatever. So the first hairstyle we were doing was this crazy teased big giant thing on your head that took like forever to do. And then the new style was basically the opposite of that. I forgot that the morning of game day. I did the first hairstyle and then had a whole breakdown. So I was like, oh, no, I did it wrong. I have to fix it. So I was like 20 minutes late because of that. That was the only reason or I would have been on time. They called me into the office. He told me this is the last straw. You're done. Took me into the principal's office. And she told me that I and it was um, like the final football season game of the year that day. Yeah, it was senior night. She told me I could not cheer. And I was being suspended for all of basketball season, which is the rest of the year, basically telling me yeah. I'm off the cheer team again. And that um, that's their the consequence for my lateness. And like, this is how they're going to address it. Yeah. I lost my shit. I lost my shit on this lady. I kind of went ham and I told her to like fuck off in a million ways, but all with the points that mattered. I was like. I'm a fucking asset to this school. I'm a 4.06 student. I'm the reason that these letters I keep getting in the mail saying the school's on fucking probation because your students suck so bad. I'm the reason that that's tipping the scale the other way. Like, fuck you. If you think that you're going to have me play this game where I do X, Y, Z to keep you happy to, you know, it was a whole thing. And so I told them I was leaving. They said, you're going to be suspended if you walk off this campus. I lived like a mile away. And so I said, all right, fucking suspend me. And I walked off campus, left, called my mom. And I said, hey, I need you to come pick me up, take me back to school so we can figure out how to go on independent study because I'm done with their bullshit. And so she came. We went back to school later that day. I signed the paperwork. And the next day I was officially on independent study. So it was like still technically through the high school. It wasn't like a Mm. third party thing. So I could still graduate um, with a diploma. But um, it was just the most remedial classes. Like I was taking like six electives because they didn't have any high enough math or science that I hadn't done already. So it was just, you know, it was, it was kind of a joke and I did my homework and stuff on my phone watching Hallmark movies for the next six months. And because it was so simple, I was able to do all of the rest of my junior year credits and all of my senior year credits in like four months. Yeah. And so I was done with high school in like March of that year. And so, so what did what did your days look like when you were just doing your homework and watching like when you weren't watching TV and doing your homework together? What were you doing with the rest of your days? 
I would sleep in like a motherfucker as long as I wanted to. And then I'd wake up like at maybe 10, 30, 11. I would get ready like as if I was going to school with like someone to impress. And then I would take my mom's car at 15 and I would drive to meet my friends wherever they were going to lunch. And I would go eat lunch with them. And I just woke up. It was like my breakfast and their lunch. And we would hang out every day still. But then I would just go home. And I, I got a job at this point. My first job was at Liberty Tax sign waving yeah. in the costume on the corner. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just I was working at school was nothing to me at that point. Like I didn't it was nothing that was hard or challenging or even time consuming. Right. So it was just kind of like I can handle that and do other stuff. Um, yeah, that was basically it. I would sleep a lot, watch a lot of movies, ate a lot of stupid food, like bad food and that was that. And then I applied for graduation, got my cap and gown one day on campus. And then the last time I ever stepped on campus was to walk the line immediately left as soon as it was over, went to like Applebee's or something. And that was it. I was done. I could not wait to start college because I'd been taking college classes since I was a sophomore at 14. And I already had like 21 units or something completed by the time I graduated. And then I went full-time as a chemistry major at the local community college after graduation. So why why did you pick chemistry? I wanted to be a doctor. That was the only thing I ever wanted to do. There was a couple yeah. times, like as you can see, the thread of like sex stuff in my whole life. Yeah. There was a couple times I thought of like, is sex therapy like a thing? Is like sexology? That sounds like a word. Is that a thing? But like, <laughs> it was just, there was something that always kind of pushed me away from it because of the like, the one and only path you could take to do it. Like you have to become a psychologist or a psychiatrist. You have to go through the, you know, whatever the clinical hours are after that. And then you're like in this state box where like your clients, if you're a California sex therapist, you work with California people, like you have to do it in this way. There's all this client liability stuff. And it was just something about the like rigidity of it felt limiting. Mm. And so I didn't go there, but the only thing I ever wanted to do outside of that, like if I had to pick a career was to be a surgeon, like that was the okay. only thing I ever wanted. So that was my, my mm-hmm. deciding. How, how would, gym. how would you say like from high school when you started staying at home, like you mentioned you were eating just all these tasty foods. How yeah. would you say your physical health was for those couple of years? So bad. So bad. Okay. So bad. Um, I would say from 15 and a half to 17 when I we'll get into that in a second when I started taking these like crazy diet pills that don't exist now um I gained probably 40 pounds okay and so like right now I'm five five four five five I weigh like 125 pounds I weighed all the way at the like top of it I weighed 175 pounds okay and so I had gained a lot of weight I was eating like hungry man tv dinners multiple times a day um, cosmic brownie, like everything packaged and processed. I was eating it all day yeah, and like had nothing to do. So I was just eating all day also, you know, so that was a factor and I was no longer in cheer and that was my only like physical outlet. And so I just was sedentary and stuffing my face and like, that was it. So I gained a lot of weight. And then when I started at college, um, I qualified for a bunch of different grants and the way that they give it to you is like on a debit card, you get however many thousands of dollars for the semester. And so I had like six grand or something on a debit card. Nice. 
and almost no expenses. I was paying for like my own, if I bought stuff, I was paying for that, like clothes and stuff, which I didn't do much of and my phone bill. And so, and gas. So outside of that, like I just had this money. And so I started eating out constantly. I would just eat whatever I wanted whenever I felt like it. I would, okay, I'll go here and buy that. I'll go here and buy that. Energy drinks left and right. Yeah. So. All right. What was, what was our go-to energy drinks that weren't for, for locos? Yeah. And then (laughs) what, what, what was our favorite go-to food at the time? Like takeout. Uh Uh-huh. Um, Honestly, this is funny because it doesn't sound like the worst thing I could say. I ate a lot of Subway. <laughs> yeah. I ate a lot of Subway, but I was getting like, you know, you can buy unhealthy shit from Subway, of course. So I was buying like a thing of three cookies to go with every foot long sandwich with like double cheese and like all kinds of stuff that I could have avoided. So yeah. a lot of Subway. Um, and I really like Japanese food. So I ate a lot of like sushi, but that probably wasn't why I got fat. You know? <laughs> That stuff's expensive. It is, yeah. And so that like really like I just had this like it felt like monopoly money on this card because I I didn't yeah. do anything for it other than apply. And then it was just like, okay, cool. And it was a grant, so you don't have to pay it back. You know, it wasn't the same right. thing as like a loan. So a lot of subway, but I was eating a lot of just like snacks type stuff at campus. So right. I lived 45 minutes away from the school that I was going to. Um, and at this point I had gotten a job at a yogurt shop which I was also okay. eating stuff at all the time, um, like toppings and candy and whatever. So I would go to class. I had to leave at like six in the morning. My first class started at seven. I would go to class from seven to two. And then right. I worked in another place 30 minutes away from three to nine. And then I would go home and I would do homework from 10 to one or two. And that was not sustainable, obviously. And so- yeah. I was just feeding myself constantly with like Rockstar and Monsters. Those were my go-tos. I would try every flavor, just different ones all the time. And um, then I started taking something called Lean 650, which they don't sell anymore. Then now it's like Lean 750 and it has the ingredients that I I was after taken out now. Um, So I've never done cocaine, but I've given two or three friends in that time period. They took one of my pills because I would take two a day. One in the morning, one in the middle of the day. And they told me both afterwards that it, I, they were like, what the fuck is this? It felt like I was on on blow for like 12 hours. And so apparently that was the relatable experience of it. And I was doing yeah. that for probably six months. It was just a major appetite suppressant. And then on top of that, I was drinking energy drinks too, like all day. Right. And so just like killed my appetite and then the lean, whatever was happening with all the bad stuff in it. I lost yeah. those like 30, 40 pounds all in that next semester. And yeah. so by the time I turned 17, I was like back at my correct weight, but I was still so unhealthy. And then right. they, they discontinued that product. And so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when when you go to the, the store to go get the product and it says it's no longer there, like what's what's our immediate reaction? I was buying it online and I was immediately panicked. I was like, Oh no. Like there has, it was like that, that moment in time when like Twinkies went off the market. Remember that? And like everyone was going crazy. They said there's going to be no more drink Twinkies. Yeah. And people were like selling boxes of hostess stuff for like a thousand dollars on eBay and things like that. So I immediately went to eBay and I'm thinking, okay, somebody has to have bought more of this shit than they needed and is selling it now that it's gone. 
So I found that I found like one or two bottles and I purchased them. And then after that, it was like, you could not find them anywhere anymore. And so, yeah, that was how I handled it. <laughs> so did, did you stop taking any, anything like that? And you're just like, Hey, did your weight go back up or how did you manage? Yeah. So my weight did not go back up. Um, and I think it was for a couple reasons. Number one was because of all the caffeine I was taking in every day. Like I was just, I didn't have the same appetite as before I kind of started that whole habit. Yeah. And, um, I started partying. A, I mean, I continued partying, but I got into like a different kind of party crowd and I met the first dude that I was in like a serious relationship with ever. We were together for like three years from like 17 to 20 ish for me. And, yeah. um, that was very distracting versus all of the stuff in my face that I was doing before to kind of be distracted. Yeah. So once again, still thriving in school yeah. um, <laughs> while working, not really sleeping and partying. Yeah. Um, it, uh, what was the inner conversation to keep you doing school? Like what, like, did you ever be like, eh, not today or there was just no conversation and it's just something you did. I'm so glad you asked because that was the beginning of the end. <laughs> the first gotcha. time around at least. So I um, started seeing this dude. We started spending more time together. And that took all precedence over everything else. Like I would, okay. be, I was even calling out of work left and right. Like I had established at this point in my life, I did not really respect other people's scheduling for me, you know, for, from school to employment to all these things. Like it was consistent yeah. at least. So I was consistently absent. <laughs> so um, I would call out of work all the time. I would skip class all the time. And then I started slipping a little bit and like, that was when it really hit me of like, oh shit, I can't do this without trying anymore. Like I have gotcha. to put the effort in and I'm not. And so that started becoming a thing. And then I think I did one summer semester after like the first full year of college. And I I dropped out of the summer semester. Like I think I had to take Fs because I dropped yeah. out so late in the semester. And then I did not re-enroll for the spring or for the fall. And I kind of pressed repeat on that at least four more times, but maybe five of like starting going for a semester or two and then dropping out again and again and again. And the distraction yeah. was constantly the the partying and the boyfriend. So what does a day of partying look like at that point? It would look like, well, so I was 17 at this point, 17 and a half ish. I moved in with him. Okay. And so, cause I lived like 20 minutes away and I was tired of like being that far away. So I moved in with him and his parents yeah. um, and we lived there together for like almost a year before I moved out and we broke up, but I moved in with him and he also was not doing shit. And so we would just like literally do nothing all day. Most of the time we would like meet yeah. up with somebody whenever, whenever we would wake up at like noon, 1 PM, we'd be drinking like alcohol in the park type of stuff. Um, that was when I started smoking weed. Actually, I was always so okay. against it, but he was a stoner and he sold weed. And so yeah. um, I started smoking and then that really took over. And actually this is when tennis entered my life. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so in that relationship, he was very, very insecure, very jealous, very controlling. I wasn't like 
allowed, quote unquote allowed to have all the friends I used to have because he was very jealous of it. And so basically his friends became my friends. And so there were two dudes that I would spend basically every day with, and we would go smoke blunts in the parking lot and then play tennis for like hours. And that was the routine. And then once it became nighttime, we would all kind of meet together, this group, and we would just drink and party. And like, yeah, there was one friend that had a a decent job. He was making like five, six grand a month at like 18, 19. So he was like balling out and didn't have any bills. And so he was always buying all the alcohol, renting hotel rooms for us to stay in all night and party, things like that. So it was pretty consistent with Reckless. (laughs) So for for me, when I partied, we'll say in in college or outside of college, Mm -hmm. um, it, it would just, we'd go to someone's house that had already been to usually. And it was just like terrible lighting and loud music and like, beer pong and like something else yeah was there different things going on at the parties you went to like what what was going on (laughs) so no i would say it was all very that sounds very par for the course from what i experienced also um there were a few houses so starting from like 15 so right after i graduated starting like 16 that was when i first met this guy we kind of like had a thing secretly making out at parties and stuff for probably a year before we were like a couple. And okay. so um we would end up at the same parties before I fully like transitioned to like his friend group. And so yeah. there was a lot of we would call them like country parties and they were just like these ho- people who had a house like out in the cut somewhere where there's like no neighbors and it would just be a bunch of kids like partying. People from like yeah. maybe 14, 15 up to like 25 years old. It's weird weird age gap there. Now yeah. I see that as weird and <laughs> Beer pong, lots of cigarettes, sometimes people smoking weed, um, just lots of different alcohol, you know, reckless, just reckless, stupid shit. People walk around with beer boxes on their head, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. So like it, it, it doesn't like it does. It does. It's not terrible. Like by, by right. any means, it's not like right. we're, we're looking at the stuff on TV or anything or movies. Yeah. Um, but what, what drew you to the parties? Like, so for me, I don't drink uh, just because I have an addictive personality and I never wanted to get into something like love, mm-hmm. absolutely love gambling. Like did that <laughs> for an extended period of time and be, uh, until it became illegal online. Mm. Like I'll only gamble if I go to Vegas. I went to Vegas a, a fair amount of times uh, with that rule. Um, but like, so drinking for me, I, I don't really do it. Um, I'll partake if my wife's like, Hey, let's, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you, was it, did we go to the party for the drinking to talk to the friends? Like what, what did you go to a party for? Um, consciously I went for the social aspect of it. Like that was what I thought I was going for. But after, yeah. you know, starting at like 13 and really it never stopped from there. I was what I would now consider full blown alcoholic for a decade. I I don't drink now at all. I've been sober for a little over two years. And um, I mean, massive life shifts just from that decision. But that was definitely playing out. Like I would justify it by saying, oh, I only party on Fridays and Saturdays. So it's not the same. Like I'm just a weekend warrior, you know. And then that was Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. And then it was sometimes we'd stay up till five o'clock in the morning and then just start drinking beer in the morning on Sundays. And it was just like a whole um, like Indiana Jones ball kind of thing. 
And yeah. so it like really got out of hand really quickly. And then with that boyfriend, he was a full-blown alcoholic, like like beer to start the day sort of a thing and like drinking until Ooh. someone was like carrying him out. And so it was like pretty bad. And then I was really mad about it. And then I started doing the same thing. And so that, that was, I would mm-hmm. say the actual motivation for going an outlet to like escape, even though I would say gotcha. it was for the social aspect. So, so what ended up uh, more or less finishing that relationship? Um, <laughs> so he got a DUI. Oh. It was a, I was so mad because I was home. He was supposed to be going somewhere and coming right back. It was like nighttime. He didn't get home till nine o'clock in the morning. No phone calls, no texts. I was so pissed. He got home and then like jokingly told me about what happened, that he was right around the corner from the house and he had been drinking. He drunk drove all the time. And apparently that wasn't why he got pulled over. The It was, but he had texted someone. And so he swerved a little bit, got pulled over, got taken to the drunk tank, whole thing, stayed the night, had to bus himself yeah. home. Never had to ride the bus in his life. Didn't know how to do it. Took him like three hours to get home. So, yeah. At that point, his parents took his car away. And so he wasn't allowed to drive anywhere. And then right in at this like same time, a week before that or something, he had just gotten hired at the same place. The other friend that had the good job was working. He had just gotten hired there. And so it was something that he like could not fuck up. And now he had even more incentive because he wanted to like buy his own car or whatever to like be able to drunk drive again, basically. So he had to go to work at five o'clock in the morning, like be there at five. And it was a 40 minute drive. So at that point, I don't know where this came from, but I just like immediately turned into this like crazy housewife and I would get up at four o'clock or like three 30 right before four. I would pack his lunch. I would cook breakfast, like full blown, like eggs, waffles, bacon type breakfast, everything. And then I would drive him in my car to his work and back so that he was there by 5 a.m. And then I would have to pick him up after work. And so like that went on for about a month. And then I got a job that I was super excited about another 40 minutes in the other direction, though. And it started at 7 a.m. Yeah. So then I was getting up at like 4.30, 4 or 4, doing the lunch, doing the breakfast. I was also making dinner in the crock pot and telling his parents when to turn it on in the day so that dinner would be done all at like 5 a.m., driving him to work. I would get home, have to finish my getting ready in like 10 minutes and then drive another hour to my job where I was yeah. working from 7 to 7. And then I would drive home and have to find him somewhere around town, like getting fucked up with somebody and then take him home. Most of the time I would eat dinner with his parents and me because he would like drunkenly demand Jack in the box or something stupid. And that got old really, really, really fast because finally I had something that was like self-motivating without me like just getting all of my self-worth and validation by doing shit for him or with him. It was about me at that point for the first time. And so my tolerance for his shit like disappeared. And then (laughs) it was maybe two, three months of working at this job. I don't know how I made such a poor decision, but I brought him onto this job after he got fired quickly because of his, you know, stuff. What what was the job that you got? (laughs) It was on paper. It was a marketing firm. But what it actually was, was I don't know if you've ever been approached like this. 
the people who set up like a little table with stuff on it at a gas station and it was a waterless car wax product in a can, like car washing a can. And we okay. would walk up to the windows of people and be like, hey, how's it going? Like, can I offer you a demo? And like demoing, cleaning people's headlights and tires and rims and stuff in like office gear, office attire. But really I was washing windows and selling this like car washing a can product all day long, just like slinging car wax. That's what I was yeah. doing. <laughs> was was it good? Was Was the product good? The product was good. I would say, yeah, but it's called FW1, by the way. It, it is pretty good. It's 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 decent. But like, you know, it's not like you're selling cars at a car lot where someone's showing up to look at cars. Right. You know, you're selling something to people who 10 times out of 10 don't want to fucking talk to you and don't want to buy anything. And so like that was a whole it was such a valuable experience because it was like the nittiest, grittiest direct sales there. It's like door knocking, but worse yeah. in my opinion, because people are trying to go on with their day from that point and they're like stopping, right. and, you know, they're spending money. They don't want to spend whatever. So it was very growth oriented. A lot of growth happened for me personally in that time because I got really good at it. And so yeah. I was always like the top high roller in the office every week, did the most sales, and so then I started wanting to build a team and I was going to open my own office. I brought on my boyfriend at that point. So, so, so I roll, I roll up into a car or in, with my car. Uh-huh. Am I at a stop sign? Am I at a stoplight? Like what's going on? You're at the gas station. Oh, I'm at, so I'm getting, I'm getting gas. Yes. And then I, I'm filling up my car. Do you wait till I get into my car? What's, what's the, what's the move? Um, It would depend. There was definitely like a, I got like a good like eye for it after a while of like, is this person here for gas? Are they stopping for snacks? Do they walk in the store with eight lotto tickets in their hand? You know, like, what do they look like? What kind of car are they driving? And all of that would determine like how I approached them. Um, You know, like uh, a dude with like a ripped up wife beater shirt and like a dirty car with like broken rims versus the old white man in the Porsche. Like, you know, those were different approaches. And so, um, I got really good at like attuning to the person in front of me and it would just be like, it was just like missile in for the kill. Like at the moment I knew it was right. And so, 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 so I'm white guy in a Porsche rolling Uh up, getting gas. What what happens next? I walk up and I am full blown, like seductress, but not in your face. Like, I'm like, hi, how's it going? And just like being overly friendly in a way that I wouldn't if I like walked up to a woman or something, you know? And so there was some of that playing out again, secretly behind the scenes, like me leading with that because I knew it would work. Um, And then for that specific character, you'd stand far away from the car. Don't touch their shit. Do not touch their shit. Because I've seen, I saw so many times working with other dudes or, or whoever I was working with be like cussed out, told to like, they're going to call the cops, like whatever, because they started like spraying shit on their car before it was like a yes. And it's like a nice right. car, you know, so I'd walk up immediately compliment their car, start asking them questions about the car. I got really good at like asking questions that implied I knew what they were talking about, but I didn't. And so then they'd get like all jolly and like open up a little bit because they were talking yeah. about their cool car, getting acknowledgement from like a, a young, attractive woman. And so mm-hmm. that was the in. And then I would be like, I would, I would like kind of preemptively call out the fact that they don't want me to touch their car. And I'd be like, mm. 
I'd say something along the lines of like, so, you know, this car is in pristine condition and I can tell you really take care of it. You probably have someone that comes to your house to wax it. So, you know, I don't want to spray anything or do anything you don't want me to do. Of course, like, you know, you, you, I'm sure you have your people, but it would really help me a lot. If I could just show you real quick, like I'll just do an inch on your, on your rim only won't even touch the paint. And if it works, you know, you like, give me a high five, give me a thumbs up and and I'll check the box that I got to show one more person today. And they'd be like, all right, let's give it a go. Show me what you got. And then nine times out of 10, they would buy something because they had a Harley at home or they had this thing that they wanted to use it for. And so. So what type of numbers are so two questions? How did you get payment? And then also, like, what was an average sale like? Mm -hmm. So the cans were $15 each and the pitch was $29.99. And if you buy it right now, I'll give you a second can. So really, they were 15 bucks each. That was the cost. But um, you'd sell it for 30 bucks and then they'd get two of them. And that was the basic Mm -hmm. sale. But there was other forms like a little down sale. Multiple times, it was called dropping a case. If you could convince the person to buy a box of 12 of these things, it was $250. So, you know, there was there was a a little bit of a range of what I could sell them. But 30 bucks was like the typical sale. And I would get paid by them in cash or I had like a card reader on my phone type of thing. And okay. And um, I would get paid from my work on like a 1099 kind of thing every week. Yeah. The, so how the much was. What, what were we bringing home kind of weekly? Nothing. Basically, like now that I think about it, I can't believe it because I was working my ass off. I was there 12 hours a day. First one in the office, last one to leave. Ooh. Like. All, running morning meetings, all kinds of shit on my hands and knees, cleaning people's dirty tires in the rain, sometimes selling a waterless product. Like it was <laughs> rough <laughs> a lot of the time. And I was bringing home like 2,500 bucks a month on like the best okay. month. And at that time I was like freshly 18. I had just signed my yeah. first lease for so little blip there. Brought on my boyfriend. It was a horrible decision. And then I channeled my boss who I really respected at that time. And I like fired my boyfriend. I broke up with him the same way that like I was taught to fire someone. And so just like cold, lifeless, like this is just what it is. I'm going to move out. And then I I left and little two weeks at my dad's house is like a landing place. And then I rented a room and was like signed a lease at 18 in the city where I was working. So I was Mm. spending like 500 bucks, 600 bucks on bills every month. And so I thought I was making a lot of money because I was making a lot more than I was spending. But the amount of work I was doing, like, yeah. <laughs> Putting in those hours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what where do where do we go when we're working twelve hours like on our feet? Do we just go home and just sleep? Like what are we doing while we're working that much? Yeah. So I was in like such a strict, disciplined, I would say good um mindset with everything and i truly thought i was gonna like open this office i was gonna move to north carolina open an office there like do all these things and um i would get up at five in the morning shower get ready make my breakfast stuff eat it on the way to work so i was the first one there i would be there before my boss sometimes he would let me in we'd chit chat whatever the whole work day get back around six ish stay till like seven i would go home shower if I watched TV, I was so strict about it. I would allow myself to watch one episode of something and like turn it off. Like binging wasn't, wow. wasn't a thing. And um, I spent like $50 a month on groceries. I would eat like cereal for dinner every night and like 
go to bed. I went to bed at like 9 p.m. every single night. That's well, that's saving money right there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so what 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 made us make a change from that place to, to wherever you went next? Yeah. So the team building aspect, I mean, I broke up with the boyfriend and then he was still showing up to work. And so it was like this weird dynamic at work. And then I brought on my I'm surprised sister. He, I'm surprised he was working that hard if if he if he didn't like working. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Um, he didn't last very long. It was only a couple months. And then he okay. went, went back to his same shit. But my sister, I brought her on. And somehow, like accidentally between the two of us, me and her, we kind of like imploded the whole thing. Like everybody quit at the same time, pretty much following us. And it was just, yeah, it, it just got really, really stressful, really hard. I don't know what flipped, but it was like, I was on top of the world feeling like I'm killing it. And then I just was like, so defeated constantly yeah. feeling like I'm not, I'm sending, I'm getting sent to gas stations where like, they're just full of like broke people. I don't, no one's buying shit. Just like all these stories and limiting beliefs yeah. and all this stuff. That was like what was starting to be consistent. And so I was really stressed about it. Probably now that I think about it, a lot of that was coming from like the unprocessed heartbreak and grief and all this yeah. attachment that like, I didn't know how to deal with. So left the job. I cried in my boss's office, told him that I was going to go back to school to continue on the medical school path. And two weeks later, I started working as a stripper at Deja Vu in Bakersfield in California. <laughs> and I was 19. I, I skipped something about stripping when I was younger but we can circle back if you want but well i was just trying to figure out like what like was that a like when you got on the bus to go back to school did, did you guys like stop off for the strip club or like how did how, how, how do we get there so the school was a complete lie i okay. like told him that because that's what i was comfortable with like him knowing but i gotcha. had every intention for the longest time of like i want to be a stripper that sounds so bizarre but like it was a it was not a, at all it was a desire at that point. And so I had wanted gotcha. to do it throughout like my whole relationship with the first boyfriend, but he, again, yeah. with the jealousy and stuff, like it was just not a thing, not an option. There were two different occasions where I did it anyways, behind his back. I was under 18, I was 17. And if you work at a strip club, even an 18 and over club, you have to have a social security card. I only had a fake ID, not a card, yeah. to, not a social security card, obviously. So I learned that the house stripping companies where they like send you to bachelor parties and stuff, yeah. they only require a photo ID and they'll just make a copy on their like household printer. And then you're, you're an employee now. And yeah. so I did that one year once. Um, and it's so fucked because the motivation was so that I would have enough money to buy my boyfriend, all the stuff I wanted to buy him for Christmas. And okay. then he found out like I actually I told him about it after a couple of weeks of like feeling all this guilt because I yeah. had, like I made like 500 bucks in cash in like two hours or something. And so I was like, that's a rich. lot better. That yes. That's a lot of um, liquor, non non water uh, car wash right there. Yes, exactly. So like by contrast, working my ass off for seven days for $500 to yeah. $500 for just kind of doing nothing. And getting to party with these people at the time, I was very into that. And so yeah. like it, it really worked for me. And, but I felt so guilty. I knew it was a problem. And so I told on myself 
He freaked out. I thought I could like sell him on it by showing him the cash. He was interested, but not enough. He was still more mad than happy. And so I like swore it off, never going to do it again. And then I did it again one more time. And like secretly he found out. And that was even like somehow had me even more like attached to the relationship of like, I promise I'll never do it again. Like, like as if I was like, I was like begging for his acceptance at that point. Right. And so that turned into resentment over time of like, I want to do this thing that truly, I mean, it's bad for a billion reasons, but at that point, my motivation was very harmless. I just wanted the freedom feeling, the money, the being in charge of myself. And I resented him for that, like limiting me, you know, even though- So how how did you get exposed to that as an option? Um, Mm -hmm. Like being able, did someone approach you from the company or how does that opportunity- um, show itself. Um, I was just always kind of like very sexually aware and like okay. kind of, yeah. So like from a super young age, and I remember saying this when I was like 12 or something, I was like, I want to be a stripper when I turn 18 and told my dad this casually. And he was like, no, you don't. You're stupid. This is, that's a bad idea. And like, it would just pop off with all these stories about how he's been to a strip club like once or twice for somebody else's event and he doesn't drink and he could just see how broken everything is and like he just knows that it's a quick path to like drugs and alcohol and you go for the stripping but then you end up selling blowjobs for 60 bucks in the back and like he would just say these things to me and I would be like that's not true if I did it I wouldn't do that and just like you know it it was kind of like another way to rebel I guess and so when I turned 19 and then I quit this company and then I quit the relationship it was like this is my ticket like now Mm. I can do it finally So I started immediately and I worked like, I remember this, I'll never forget this. I worked eight days that whole entire month and I made $4,000 and I was sold. (laughs) Absolutely. Yep. So is there, I've worked, I've worked a a fair amount of different jobs. Um, What does orientation look like? For a stripper? Yeah. I I have not done that job, so I don't know what the orientation (laughs) is. (laughs) So I was like, so me being the student that I am, I was like, so trying to be prepared and perfect and whatever. And it was like a little over an hour drive away anyways. And so like, I didn't want to go and not have what I needed. So I would call from like blocked phone numbers multiple times. And I'd be like, hi, can I talk to the manager? Can I talk to whatever? Do you guys do, um, what's the word amateur night? Do you guys do, when do you do auditions? They would all tell me the same information every time, but I was just like, so in my head about it and scared, but excited. And so I finally went at an 18 and over club in California. At least the laws are that they cannot sell alcohol because it's an 18 and over club, but because it's 18 and over, it's fully nude on stage. Okay. Um, Like no liquor gives them the permission to be fully nude on stage, I guess. Okay. And so, um, but another catch to that is like, if you're not on stage, you can't have your ass exposed. And so you and or like tits exposed so like you couldn't wear like pasties and a thong you have to wear yeah. like a bikini or something like okay you have to be a little bit more coverage so i brought a bikini like i was informed yeah. this is the kind of outfit to wear these are the shoes it was some random like my graduation from high school high heels <laughs> it was yes. not stripper gear whatsoever but i showed up met with the manager he 
told me, I told them I wanted to audition. They told me just to like come in on a weekday between like noon and 5 PM or something. Cause during okay. the day shift, it's much slower. The music is quieter. You're not going to be like a distraction to the night scene, you know? So that's when you audition. So I showed up, I had my stuff, met the dude. Um, he told me almost word for word. This is what he said. He said, I can tell you're really nervous, but you don't need to be nervous. You know, just get up there and show me. You can, you can take your clothes off. Basically you're hot. You look nice. You're smiling. So like you have the job, just, you just have to do this part. And I was like, okay. So I got up on stage. I danced to peaches and cream and honey or fantasy by Mariah Carey. And then I, they told me you have to be fully nude by the end of the second song the recommendation just for you to like keep it straight take your top off at the end of the first yeah. one take your bottoms off at the end of the second one so like a fucking pony merry-go-round i held on to the pole and like walked around in a circle basically the whole five minutes of being on stage which felt like six years and i got off stage i was like trembling but like not showing it as much as possible right. and then i signed my contract and they were like all right now you work here so, first off, who's writing these rules in California that says <laughs> what what you can or can't do? Yeah. <laughs> and and then second of all, what what was the experience with the management at the strip club? Was were they more respectful than expected? Less respectful? What what was that like? Mm-hmm. So, in the future, a little bit to answer that question about the laws. So because I was such like a star stripper, which I'll tell you more about, <laughs> um, and I was very, I would say I had like a decent relationship with the management, like the highest management. It was a woman. Yeah. The rest were all men, but the highest one was a woman. And she really liked me as like a person. I think she she respected me. She knew I wasn't there out of like necessity. I wasn't like a drug problem. Like, you know, so she, we were cool. And right. in 20... 18, maybe, maybe 2019, seven, no, not 19, 18 or 17. There was this whole legislation in California trying to convert most of the 1099 positions in the, in the whole state. So that was including stripping. That was including certain real estate positions. Like it was a lot of things across the board, trying to convert those things into employment status for tax purposes so that they could collect more tax and whatever. So I was the like nominated spokesperson for going to trial with this whole thing and like being the, the, the witness, I guess they called me to state, like I am better taken care of as a dancer in the state of California as an independent contractor. I do not want employment from the the horse's mouth. Like I do not want that status in the state. And um, they ended up losing the case and it, that is the state regulation now. So like you're, it's a weird employee situation. If you're a stripper in California now, you get like a fucking paycheck the end of the week. It like eradicated every reason why someone would want to be a stripper, working your own hours, leaving with cash. Like it's yeah, all of that's done. So how do, do they not get tipped now? How does that work? I suppose they do. Because obviously they, no one can track that other than you, you know, unless someone's like following you around all day. But I think there are like legal rules around it where you're supposed to report your tips. Like it's, it's more so like a waitress position now, but you're still expected to be a stripper, you know? And so, yeah, it's really, it's really unsupportive for like (laughs) 
the whole point <laughs> for me that didn't work anymore yeah. so i was like no way i'm out so i i think when a lot of stripping is portrayed it's something that is they just go up there like you get drunk you don't really enjoy it and you're just like kind of just getting it over with what was the experience for you yeah so there was absolutely a lot of that happening more so for others not for me more so at the nighttime than in the daytime so the club that i worked out specifically i chose because um they did have daytime hours and so the shifts were basically 12 to 7 like noon to 7 p.m and then 7 to 2 a.m and i worked like one and a half night shifts in the whole three years that I worked there. I hated it. Hated it. It was a drunk crowd. It was um, a lot of people with like, quote unquote, regular jobs. And so that's when they could come in. And so it was like a cheaper crowd, um, typically. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, the dudes who are taking lunches and going to the strip club because their law office, they just decided to lock the door. They have more disposable income in the middle of the day, you know. Gotcha. And so um, I loved the experience of being on stage, like the, the, just like the performative nature of it and like the putting on a show and being physically like, um, it's a lot of muscle control. It's a lot of muscle work, you know? I do not doubt it. (laughs) Yeah. So it was very like physically rewarding. Like I felt like my, the workouts I never, ever had established in my life were finally there and it was built into making a lot of money. And so it was cool for that reason. But in one seven-hour shift, depending on how many girls were working, I would go on stage maybe two to five times in the whole shift. And yeah. in those gaps in between those times, uh, the 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 rule or like what you're supposed to do is you go and you sit next to the people who are there. You sit with the customers, yeah. you make small talk, you build the relationship, and you try to sell dances. And so I very quickly coming from the nitty grittiest direct sales job ever. Now it was like (laughs) taking candy from a baby because I'm not trying to sell you some shit you don't want at the gas station when you don't want me to talk to you. Now I'm trying to sell you tits and ass with them out and exposed to you in your face at the place where you go to buy tits and ass, you know? And so it was just so easy for me. And I I built a clientele very quickly. And so I worked probably three to five days a week. Sometimes when I had like a trip coming up or something, I would work seven days a week, just like go hard. Um, and it was a very toxic environment for sure. The women that worked there, most of them have similar issues and similar problems. And it's very catty. And then especially because I was doing so well compared to women that have been there for 12 years, you know, making not enough money to pay their bills because of their attitudes because the way they're showing up all of that was in their control but they didn't think that you know they were like she's taking all these customers she's doing this yeah so i would be gone for two weeks at a time like i went on a african safari and then i come back and i would meet my customers again and they'd be like oh so-and-so told me you don't work here anymore so-and-so told me you have chlamydia so-and-so told me you whatever and it was just like all these super Rough. shady yeah like shady kind of like catty stuff going on behind the scenes that was very much happening and then with the customers so the geographical location i was at there was a dense population of illegal immigrants and like like field workers and so these dudes coming straight from mexico where the sex work scene is completely different they would come in looking like shit smelling like shit straight out of the fields clothing and like be like pulling you onto their laps and like 
trying to get you to fuck them for $20 with no condom, like things like that. And like expecting that to be okay. And it wasn't. And so there was a lot of like, just like annoying to deal with type of stuff from those types of customers. And then, um, just sometimes you get some like whack jobs with like, yeah, like they're spun out or they're like super dirty or like coming in old men with like piss diapers, things like that. Like it was, it was a hard to tolerate clientele for sure. So is there, is, is most of the money made on stage? Is it made at private dances? What's the, what's the scenario for you? Well, for you. Yeah. So for me, um, most of it came from dances and actually I was kind of the oddball out because the way that it works at Deja Vu, there's like a little like ATM type of machine next to each of the dance booths and you have a little wrist um, like magnet thing. You touch it and then it like registers as you, the person puts the money into the machine and it starts the light and then the light goes off when it's done. So then at the end of the shift, when you go to clock out, they like press print receipt and then they they give you your cut which was depending on the day if you were scheduled if you were late like there was different things but most of the time you'd get 60 or 70 percent of whatever dances you sold and i was kind of like an oddball out because mine was oftentimes half and half or sometimes even more dance money than like tips and stage tips whereas a lot of the other girls they were doing like two twenty dollar dances in a whole day but like making 500 bucks in tips or something because they're having sex with someone in the back or something like that, you know? So it was different the way different women would like play it and try and collect the money. But depending on the crowd, sometimes the stage would be really good, but in the daytime, usually it wasn't because there's just not enough people there. But if you have a regular and they're sitting in the front of the stage for you, they would get off on like really just like giving you the attention on the stage. So that was mediocre, but it got to the point where I had such a solid clientele that I would be doing like three to seven half hour long dances all day. And so I was just like in these half hour booths all day long. And then they would tip me a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. How much would a half an hour cost? At that location, it was 150 bucks. That was the dance fee. And then that, whatever they tipped you on top of that. Okay. Then that's, that's like, that's a long time. That's a long time. Yes. So I was super fit (laughs) (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) So were they were your clientele because so you mentioned the other women would go back with them and have sex with them there for 500 bucks and whatnot as um, a a dance. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out, are we talking to them? Are we just dancing? Like what, what are we what are we selling here? It again, just like the gas station situation, it was very varied depending on who it was. And I gotcha. knew like very personally what these people were there for, you know? And so like this really created such a, such a unique foundation of my understanding of like where relationships are fucked up and how to fix them. Um, gotcha. that led into everything I do now, but like, some men were there to be validated. That was it, basically. Some men were there for the legit sexual exposure. Some men were there to okay. feel like they had a com- uh, like a companion. You know, so it was kind of all over the map. But um, for the most part, consistently, the dudes that would see me regularly wanted to talk. 
They wanted to hear all about me and know that I was really interested in them. And um, something, if they felt like they were getting away with something, that was always like a major selling point. So like, for example, in a half hour room, it's not a little chair thing. It's like a couch. And so they'd be sitting in the middle of the couch and I would like stand up on the couch at the 18 and over clubs. You're not allowed to be naked in the dances at all. And so you're wearing whatever your outfit is. So if I would like pull my underwear to the side and like show them my pussy or something, that was like a major selling point. And then after probably a year of being like golden child stripper, I started doing exactly what my dad said happens. (laughs) And I, I did start doing more like prostitute type behavior. Um, in the strip club. So whether that was yeah. letting them do something to me, um, showing them something, doing something to them, it depended on the situation, but, yeah. um, that became very appealing very quickly because of the money you could make like gotcha. okay. in the same amount of time, you know? And so when I finally like transitioned out of the strip club, because I was just so burnt out on the environment and having mm-hmm. to deal like sift through so much bullshit for the reason I was there, I just kind yeah. of like, took my golden goose egg clients out of the strip club and I started seeing them privately. And so then it transitioned into like full-blown escorting for the next chunk of years. Okay. So then how do you, how do you approach them for with that situation? Say, Hey, like, is it a text? Do you like call, like, how, how does that work? So if I took them from the, like, I would tell them that I wasn't going to be working here much longer, but I really don't want to lose this relationship. Like, I really like you so much. I want to keep seeing you. And I would like propose, like, how would it feel if we could just like do this, the same thing we do every couple days, we have a half hour together, but what if it was longer? What if it was an hour and you like, I didn't have to give any of the money to the club. You didn't have to pay to get into a place. And You know, I just made it really appealing. You sold had your salesman the, hat on? Yes. Sold them on the <laughs> privacy, on the whatever. And then um, I would say 80% of my clients came that way. Like I took them from there directly. And then yeah. um, some were texting and stuff like just, but also they were pre-established relationships from the strip club. And then mm-hmm. one or two times I had somebody like refer me to one of their friends and then I would see them and that started a long-term relationship with those people. And then... Um, maybe halfway into that chunk of time for me, I started getting on a website called seekingarrangement.com, which is okay. like, it's basically a sugar daddy website. And um, I would just make the connection, sift through them real fast, the same way I was doing in the strip club and then like sell them on it. Mm-hmm. So would this open up your schedule or would you have like, what would you do when you weren't working? Party. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So at that point, I was still not 21 yet, but I had a fake ID. Still not 21? Yeah. My Lord. I know. Making I worked in the so club. much money. Yep. I made 100 grand when I was like 19 in the, the first full year of stripping. And so that was like a crazy, like inflated, distorted, like how the world right. works, you know? <laughs> and so like after the whole sex work chapter, it was like a whole fell on my ass, like re having to learn what working means. Like how right. to put the time and effort in to get the money in return. Like, cause that just was completely gone with what I was doing. So, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely like in my, on my terms, like, okay, I'm available this time, this day, 
but it was a lot yeah. of driving. I was doing, I was putting like a thousand miles a week on my car sometimes just like all over the central Valley of California. Sometimes I would end yeah. up in LA, like I was going all over the place and, um, it varied. There were some dudes that I would see for like 30 minutes to an hour. It was just straight up sex or straight up something like that. And they would give me like three to $500. And then there were other situations where I would be like hanging out with a dude and there like wouldn't even be sex on the table, but it was this kind of like wanting an arm candy kind of thing around and like the engagement of it. And I'd make $3,000 for doing that for a couple hours. And so it was really all over the board with what was going on. So not, not to, not to, and end this on on this note. Um, but well, a- after this question, then we'll finish it up, and we'll absolutely need a part two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> without naming any names, uh-huh. w- like that's it. Seems like there's a lot of money going into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, what, what, what do these people do that they just have this abundance amount of money? And it seems like there's a lot of them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I guarantee you, you have some friends or you know, some people that have bought sex in their lifetime. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Well, like, a, like a, a couple times, a hundred percent. Like I, I, I know some people, but like, this seems like a lot. Yeah. So and they weren't paying big money either. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah. I had a friend or two when I was like 18, 19, they had their first like strip club experience and they got a hand job for like 50 bucks. They thought it was amazing. <laughs> And then later I was like, damn, you only paid $50. Like <laughs> it was, yeah. So really the 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 truth is that it's the same as anything else, just like a car, just like a house. There's something at every price point, you know, and there's a customer for it at every price point. And so yeah. there's people spending five million dollars on a house this year. There's people who can't even pay their rent, you know, and so it's like that exists in every single yeah. part, you know, every every area. And so I just got really good at like identifying the type of person that I knew was in a certain bracket in a certain lifestyle. And so the ones that were spending the most money, like at one time were usually doctors or lawyers. Um, Okay. A couple were like entrepreneur type businessmen. Um, Maybe they didn't do one specific thing, but they had built some sort of wealth or something that was like sustainable for them. And then Mm -hmm. the ones that were more like, three, four hundred, five hundred dollars, six hundred dollars for like an hour. Um, one of them actually, he was very much working class, like um, I think he might have been an illegal immigrant, actually. I don't know if he was legal or not, but either way, yeah. From Mexico, moved in like his twenties or something to the States, and he was a full time mechanic. And okay. that was that was what he did. And he just like was really good with his money, didn't spend a lot of money on bills. And I would see him two to three times a week. And he would, yeah. So he was spending three, $4,000 a month on me. And I get, I assume that that was a large portion of his income. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're going to get these questions twice because <laughs> once again, we're going to, we're going to do this again soon. Yep. Um, but, uh, what, what is your definition of health? Not necessarily the dictionary definition, but what uh-huh. is health to you? I love that question. Health to me is alignment, your mind, body, and spirit. 
your thoughts, words, and actions being on the same page. Cause I think when we're doing anything that's easily, easily classified as unhealthy, we're binging and eating bullshit, watching Netflix, we're smoking cigarettes, we're drinking all the time. Like we're not taking care of our body, whatever. There's something that's not aligned, you know, cause nobody wants that. Nobody genuinely desires to feel like shit. And so when we act a certain way and think a certain way, and we're saying things that are just not connected, I think that that's like the fast track to losing health. And to me, health, like in terms of just like vitality and life force energy being available and feeling good, that to me means being in alignment, being in integrity with yourself and acting the way you want to feel, thinking the way you want to act and all those things lining up. Mm -hmm. And then what's something that uh, you think from your life that people listening would be able to take away as a benefit? Hmm. That whichever end of the spectrum you're on, the sex buyer or the sex seller, (laughs) um, I always hope that the takeaway is that what it's the same as like anything else that's impulsive and quick and like pleasure, not even pleasure, instant gratification driven that like it's something that's going to do more harm in the long run than good. And so mm-hmm. just really assessing, even in your own regular romantic relationships, like, are you putting out on the first date because you think he's not going to like you? If you don't, are you expecting sex on the first date because you think that you should have access to that? You know? And so it's like, just really assessing for yourself, like what is your relationship to your body and who has access to it? And, um, tightening those things up if it is something that is contributing to you not feeling the way you want to feel Mm -hmm. awesome love that thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you so much for having me this was awesome absolutely